If there's one word to describe Kenny Leon's production of Shakespeare's Much Ado About Nothing, maybe the best one is exuberant. You know your answer. The fault will be in the music, cousin, if you be not wooed in good time. Cousin, you apprehend passing shrewdly. I have a good eye, uncle. I can see a church by daylight. Folger Shakespeare Library, this is Shakespeare Unlimited. I'm Michael Whitmore, the Folger's director. There are plenty of other words you could use for this production, too. It's contemporary. And I would, I could find in my hort that I had not a hoard hort. It can be sassy. I wonder that you will still be talking, Senor Benedict. Nobody marks you. And especially, it's political. Picky lines. And picket signs Don't punish me with brutality Come on, talk to me Talk to me So that you can see what's going on In this production, set in his longtime hometown of Atlanta, Kenny Leon brought a 21st century sensibility to Shakespeare's language that mesmerized audiences during last summer's performances at the public theater's Shakespeare in the Park. One of those evenings has been preserved and comes to national TV in Thanksgiving week as part of PBS's great performances. We were lucky to get Kenny Leon into a studio to talk about the production a few days before it aired. We call this podcast, Let's Have a Dance. Kenny Leon is interviewed by Barbara Bogave. What's your first step when you get an assignment of Shakespeare in the Park, since it's in the park? And I would imagine that's a different style of preparation than what you do getting ready for another high-profile production. Well, uh, I've worked on a fair amount of stories over my career, and uh, I approach all of them the same, whether it's a musical or drama or comedy. And Oscar Eustace approached me about a year ago. He called and said, okay, which one of these 38 plays are you going to do? Pick one. And, you know, so I went home and looked at the plays and decided that I wanted to do one of the comedies because I felt like the comedies have more uh, political impact these days. I had rather hear my dog bark at a crow than a man swear he loves me. Oh, God, keep your ladyship still in that mind. So some gentlemen or others shall scape a predestinate scratched face. Scratching could not make it worse for such a face as yours, work. Well, you are a rare parrot teacher. Bird of my tongue is better than a beast of yours. I would my horse have the speed of your tongue. And Oscar Eustace put me together with this great Shakespearean authority, uh, James Shapiro. And we would meet every weekend for about, you know, three months. You're, mm-hmm. uh, what were you in his, in a coffee shop and in, in his office? No, his we're office? in his home. In his home? We're in his home, in his home overlooking the Hudson River. So every morning on his sofa, after a fresh pot of coffee, we would just jump in and talk about 
Shakespeare and what was Shakespeare's intentions when he wrote the play. So every weekend I would talk about Shakespeare and think about Shakespeare and and put in my mind if Shakespeare were alive today, which is what I'm always saying and with every play that I do, you know, when I did A Raising in the Sun on Broadway, I'm like, what would Lorraine Hansberry do if she was alive today? And so I look at Shakespeare the same way. What was his intent? I shall see thee, ere I die, look pale with love. <laughs> with anger, with sickness, or with hunger, my lord, not with love. Prove that ever I lose more blood with love than I will get again with drinking. Uh. Pick out mine eyes with a ballad maker's pen and hang me up at the door of a brothel house for the sign of blind Cupid. And so, in deciding on much ado, the first scene in the play, it says, Shakespeare says, men coming from war. I pray you, is Senor Mountanto returned from the wars or no? I know none of that name, lady. There was none such in the army of any sort. So, as a director, you have to decide, okay, what war is it? And, uh... Every war I could think about in the past did not feel appropriate or did not feel truthful, did not feel authentic. And I said to the Shakespearean scholar, what about a war in the future? And I said, wow, okay, great. Well, where would that war be? And I started thinking about, well, what if it was on American soil? Because there's so many things happening in our country that's just pushing people away from uh, true relationships. And so I thought that the war had to be in America. And if it's in the future, it's maybe it's the 2020 election, right before the 2020 election. Okay, that's good. And then reading my notes on Shakespeare, I realized that Much Ado takes place in Oregon, Italy. And I live in Cobb County, Georgia, about 10 minutes I think east of my home in Georgia is a place called Oregon in Georgia. And I was like, okay, well, that's a place to start as a director, okay. And, wow, it's a play about community. Okay, what's the community around Oregon, Georgia? Oh, Atlanta. Oh, it's a play about sort of middle class or upper middle class people. Well, Atlanta has a huge upper middle class, and they happen to be black, And so that was the first time when I started thinking that this production probably should involve a black community. Right or left. Company halt! Right face! Oh, you come to meet your trouble. The fashion of the world is to avoid costs and you encounter it. Never came trouble to my house in the likeness of your grace. Uh. For trouble being gone, comfort should remain. But when you depart from me, sorrow abides. <laughs> and happiness takes its We would just jump in and talk about Shakespeare and what was Shakespeare's intentions when he wrote the play. Down to the specifics of some of the songs that people have picked certain songs to include in that play, and he would say, well, you don't have to use this song. That was just an idea that Shakespeare had. Oh, really? Okay, so since I'm making this about this black community, well, then all the songs should be from that culture. We will spare for no wit, I warrant you. Only get the learned writer to set down our excommunication.
And, you know, and Much Ado ends up being a, a, a story really about fake news. It's about people who tell stories and lies and, you know, and the impact of that on community. Um, and the other thing that I wanted people to experience with Much Ado is, like, I wanted them to know, first of all, when you sit down in the Delacorte Theater, you look to your left and you see an American flag, so you know that whomever is living in this home, they love their country. And then we start with Marvin Gaye's song. What's going on? What's going on? Oh, what's going on? Oh, beautiful ah. for spacious yes. skies, for amber waves of grain. Mm. What's going ha. on? For purple oh. mountains, majesty what's going on? above the fruited plain. Amazing. On thee, what's going on? And crowned by God with brothers, going on from sea to shining sea. I love how organic your process is, and that you keep saying this word uh, community because the setting of Atlanta that you chose is so pertinent because that city is a black community and this play it feels very much not that you set out to have a black cast only Shakespeare much ado Mm -hmm. but that it's a play about a black community and that there is a a them outside there's a threat outside or there is an outside and an inside within Mm -hmm. within the the theater and that makes it that gives it a different a completely different dimension I think. Well, I learned that from working with the great August Wilson on uh, his last couple of new plays before he passed away. And he said, you know, he always write, write the specifics and then you have a chance at saying something universal. Let me ask you this. Since you're setting the play in just slightly in the future, a moment in the future, it mm-hmm. does complicate the, kind of the essential moment in the play when, when Claudio accuses Hero of being unfaithful. She knows the heat of a luxurious bed. Her blush is guiltiness, not modesty. What do you mean, my lord? Not to be married. Not to knit my soul to an approved wanton. Dear my lord, if you and your own proof have vanquished the resistance of her youth and made defeat of her virginity... I know what you would say. If I have known her, you will say she did embrace me as a husband and so extenuate the forehand sin. No, Leonardo. I never tempted her with word too large, but as a brother to his sister... Showed bashful sincerity and comely love. And seemed I ever otherwise to you. Mm-hmm. What with Me Too and, and hashtag Believe Women, it's so ingrained in our national conversation, in our culture now. What was your thinking going into rehearsals about how to handle that issue and that scene specifically? And well, what there, are co- many, there, are, there are many challenges in presenting that play. You know, like when I approach any revival of any play, I'm still trying to say, how does it affect us in our seats today? So when you're looking at uh, uh, the treatment of Hero, not only by the men in the play, but by Claudio specifically, going into rehearsal, I kept challenging the cast. If this were to happen today, what would be the reaction? Is this face heroes or our eyes our own? All this is so, but what of this, my lord? Let me but move one question to your daughter. 
And by that fatherly and kindly power that you have in her, bid her answer truly. I charge thee to do so, as thou art my oh child. God, defend me! And then we had to come up with a gesture that doesn't let Claudio get off the hook for this treatment of this woman whom he said he loved. So we built in a, a huge slap. <laughs> Another hero. Nothing certainer. One hero died defiled, but I do live. And that was really good. And every night when the audience responded there, I knew I had got that right. You know what I mean? It's just a small gesture, but it lets you know that, no, it wasn't okay for you to so easily forget our love and to really be a part of the fake news. You know, so we're always trying to think what we would do in 2020. You have such fantastic actors in this production, and I want to talk mm -hmm. about Danielle Brooks. For the witch blessing, I am at him upon my knees every morning and evening. Lord, I could not endure a husband with a beard on his face. Speak, Countess, your cue. Sweet hero, she is wrong. She is slandered. She is undone. Beatrice. Oh, that I were a man for his sake. Or that I had any friend would be a man for my sake. But manhood is melted into curtsies, valor into compliment, and men are only turned into tongue and trim ones too. He is now as valiant as Hercules that only tells a lie and swears it. I cannot be a man with wishing, therefore I will die a woman with grieving. I loved her on Orange is the New Black, and she's just riveting and, and hilarious in this. And she's also just a, a plus-size, beautiful uh, woman who doesn't conform to Hollywood stick figure ideals of, of beauty. And she has natural hair. Why were you set on her playing the lead, and what did she want out of this lead? What did it mean to her? Because I, I read that she gave up a movie role to do this play. Uh, once you come up with a concept for a play and how to present it, then the next uh, difficult thing is casting the production. And the first person I thought of for uh, Beatrice was Danielle Brooks. And only because I knew she had went to Juilliard. So she's classically trained, so I know she can handle the language. She looks like no other Beatrice has ever looked. You know, she's a plus-size woman. She's beautiful. Uh, she's humorous. Uh, she can sing. And then I just started, you know, questioning my own, uh, uh, the way I look at uh, traditional uh, production. So it's like, oh, every other Beatrice I've known has been thin and white. And I was like, well, why not a beautiful black woman who happens to be plus-size? And put out a call to Danielle, and Danielle said right away, like, yes. You know, when am I going to get offered Beatrice? I'm never going to be offered Beatrice. And then once I cast her, I cast it around her. So it's like, okay, uh, I don't want someone. I, I want Benedict to look like the traditional leading man. I do much wonder that one man, seeing how much another man is a fool when he dedicates his behaviors to love, will after he hath laughed at such shallow follies in others, become the argument of his own scorn by falling in love. <laughs> such a man is Claudio. And uh, so, you know, Grantham Coleman came in to play uh, 
Benedict. And then we just cast it around that. I knew I had to cast a certain amount of dancers because I wanted I wanted dance in it. I wanted movement. I wanted uh, songs in it. And Jason Michael Webb uh, created some new music for us. So I combined that with some old songs as well. Jason Michael uh, Webb, the musical director of, of Choir Boy. Yeah, he's he's really amazing. Pack up all your sad songs, trade them in for glad songs, and sing and he had worked with Camille Brown as choreographer on Choir Boy, and then she came in and then choreographed some amazing movements. I pray you, what is he? Why, he's the Princess Jester! A very dull fool. I'm sure he's in the fleet. <laughs> when I know the gentleman, I'll tell him what you say. Do! Do! We must follow the leader! It's an historic production, I think. Well, Daniel Brooks said some wonderful things in interviews about how you work with actors. And, and one of them was that she said, you give us so much leeway, but you'll say if you want us to back off. And, and that you'd literally say to your actors, add a little mayonnaise to that. <laughs> Which is such a wonderful direction. Just telling all my secrets. <laughs> so what you do know, you mean by say, it? I think I know, but I... Well, I use this when I'm working on camera or on stage, but my point is, if you're close to being right, like you're in the pocket, it's, it's pretty good. Uh, but I say add a little mayonnaise means just a little bit more of yourself. Just a little bit of flavor is going to make that go from a dry sandwich with just bread and tomato to a really moist, moist sandwich that creates a great scene. So I, they understand when I say uh, mayonnaise, that oh. means you're close, but just add a little bit more of yourself to it. Um, <laughs> I thought it meant that you have to back off a little bit, be more bland. Oh, no. No, no, no. <laughs> no I just wanted, you want to add a little bit of smoothness to it, a little bit ah. of smoothness to it. And if I say add a little mustard, that means like you want to add a little spice to it. You know, it's too generic, so... Things like that. And, you know, Danielle didn't say that if they come late to rehearsal, everybody has to do 10 push-ups, you know. So we, it was a very healthy company. We did a lot of push-ups. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it's a great company. Well, the other thing they do so well, the, the actors, is they really, they're very contemporary, the way they speak the verse, especially Danielle, but, but really all of them. How did you work with your actors who are classically trained? Um, I had a lot of good, uh, good, good help. I had uh, the great Kate Wilson, who is a great voice and dialect person. So she works from the from the actor space and makes everything true to where they're coming from. But um, I, I have a, a, a game I play with them. I said uh, my biological father's name was Leroy. He grew up in Tallahassee, Florida, uh, a country boy. Didn't go to any fancy restaurants or any fancy places or any museums or any theaters. So I said, look, we have to make this production um, where Leroy can understand everything that's being conveyed on this stage. I trust you will be ruled by your father. Yes, Faith, it is my cousin's duty to make curtsy and say, Father, has it pleased you? 
But for all that, cousin, let him be a handsome fella or else make another curtsy and say, Father, as it please me. Oh, <laughs> There's no reason for Shakespeare not to be understood. If Shakespeare was alive today, he would say, I want the common man to understand it. We've had, over time, bad definitions of what makes great Shakespeare. And uh, I think great Shakespeare is very understandable. Let me ask you this, because I think one of the things that I have trouble with, with Much Ado, is the mix of serious and comedic. That balance of comedy and tragedy is tricky for the director. It's sometimes tricky for the audience, too. And I often will watch Much Ado and be surprised at something the audience is laughing at when it wasn't intended to be comedic. For instance, I'm thinking of the scene in Act 5 when Leonardo confronts the prince and Claudio about causing the death of Hero, and he says, I cannot bid you bid my daughter live. That were impossible. I've heard actors do that in a comedic way. I've heard them do it in a serious way. But it almost always seems to get some kind of nervous laugh from the audience, no matter what they do. Yeah, many times I don't worry about how the audience responds. I worry about what's the truth of that we're going for. So, like, for me, many times I had to pull the actor back from making that too broad or making that too funny because he's just, he's just letting you know he's a part of this... Of, of of the scheme of this and basically ruse. they're trying to yeah. they're trying to just you know they they actually just trying to bring these men around and he has to be convincing or else they would never go for it so to me it's more of an uh, honest moment and it's funny but I don't mind the audience laughing I don't mind it's just like when you go to see I did a production of Fences on Broadway with Denzel and Viola and there will be the African American community always brings in uh, give and take with what's on stage and them in the seats. And sometimes the way black people uh, engage in storytelling, uh, the traditional white theater-going audience, it clashes with, with their response to it or what they think is appropriate. And I always like that because I was like, that's what creates uh, a beautiful audience. You know, you come with what you had at home and you, you run to this other group of people and now it's like, ooh, we respond this way. It's just how what we bring to the theater. And most people of color who came to see Much Ado in the park, and there were many, mo- most of them hadn't seen that much Shakespeare, and definitely not Shakespeare in the park. Which, and I think that Shakespeare should be for everyone and is for everyone. I, I realized that you staged this play 20 years ago at the Georgia Shakespeare Festival in Atlanta. Yeah. So how, how different Tell tell me about that production. Just how different well, was it? When I got hired uh, uh, by Richard Garner to do uh, Much Ado 20 years ago, I had no idea what I was doing, what uh, Shakespeare was really about. The uh, the production came off very well. People talked, you know, highly of the production. But I look back now, it's like, what was I doing? And <laughs> it was definitely not, uh, it was not a black production. And I think there may have been two black people in the whole production. I had no idea. So I got away with that one 20 years ago. What, was Shakespeare, a, I mean, was Shakespeare meaningful to you, though, coming up? I mean, what, what made you want to do no, the production in the first place? I grew place? up poor. I grew up poor in, poor in Florida. And all of us are introduced to... Shakespeare in, in school, in English class, and 
But, you know, in the same way you would be introduced to Oscar Wilde and Lorraine Hansberry, but I never did Shakespeare in school. In fact, we were the first class to integrate Northeast High School in St. Petersburg, Florida. And then in some of the theater programs there, uh, if you were African-American, you you weren't even allowed to even try to audition for Shakespeare. <laughs> you know, he was like, oh, you can be, you know, uh, you can be a maid in this play or a butler in that play. But uh, early in my career, I worked on some Shakespeare as an actor. I did uh, a small role in Richard III. I'd done um, uh, As You Like It. You know, so I've been a part of it. But I always thought of it as being like, oh, the, the formal theater or approach. I, I knew I would sometimes read his work and like the poetry of it. You know, you can pull some things, almost like you can pull some things out of the Bible and say, wow, that's beautiful. That's written uh, most gorgeously. But um, now I'm, I'm uh, not only a fan of Shakespeare, but I really realized that Shakespeare and I come from the same school. And I think if he was alive, I would just, you know, I, th- I think he is about the same things I'm about. So now I'm reading his works to find clarity in, in his writing and find what was he trying to say. And, and it's amazing when writing sustains itself over time. So with Much Ado, that was like 1585 running into 2020, creating something we call now. And I think with this production of Much Ado, I, I got to that in a beautiful way. Um, and you know, I demystified what was challenging about it, and now I'm ready to do, you know, whatever is going to be that next Shakespearean play, and I don't know what that is yet. Um, I've, I've been in productions that were confusing, and totally, you, you definitely could not understand what was being conveyed, but people would say, oh, yeah, Kenneth, didn't you like that? That was great. And if I was being honest with myself, I was like, no, there's a part, I didn't know what they were saying right there. And which, fr- as an African-American artist, it frustrates you because when they're... Uh, uh, diverse audiences going to see, let's see, A Raisin in the Sun or Fences or a new play by Nen, Lynn Nottage. Uh, certain parts of the audience would say, oh, I don't know what they're saying. I can't understand them. I can't. And then it's like, are you really? You, and you understood every word that was trying to be conveyed in that production of uh, uh, of Coriolanus that you saw? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So it's like getting, to, getting through all of that and say, you know what? Shakespeare is for everybody especially if you make it plain, make it simple, and get to Shakespeare's rhythms and not your own rhythms and get to what you can bring to it as an American, as a black American, white American, what you can bring to that, uh, and then you find truth. I can't wait for your next Shakespeare production, and you have been so generous with this conversation, and and that big-heartedness shows through through your place as well. Thank you so much. Barbara, good to hear you. Good to talk with you. Thank you so much. Kenny Leon, the founding artistic director of True Colors Theater Company and for 11 years artistic director of Atlanta's Alliance Theater, won the Tony Award for Best Director for A Raisin in the Sun in 2014. Recent film work includes Netflix's American Son with Carrie Washington, which he also directed on Broadway. His memoir, Take You Wherever You Go, was published by Grand Central in 2018. He was interviewed by Barbara Bogave. Kenny Leon's production of Shakespeare's Much Ado About Nothing began airing nationally on PBS's Great Performances on November 22nd. The production, originally part of Public Theater's Free Shakespeare in the Park, 
stars Danielle Brooks of Orange is the New Black as Beatrice and Grantham Coleman of Buzzer and the Americans as Benedict. Check local listings to find out when the production will be on TV in your area. You can also watch it on pbs.org gperf and the PBS video app. Our podcast, Let's Have a Dance, was produced by Richard Paul. Garland Scott is the associate producer. It was edited by Gail Kern-Pastor. Ben Lauer is the web producer. We had technical help from James Walsh at Threshold Recording Studios in Midtown Manhattan. If you're enjoying Shakespeare Unlimited, and if you're looking for a way to let others know about it, please leave us a positive review on Apple Podcasts. That really is the best way to help. Thank you. Shakespeare Unlimited comes to you from the Folger Shakespeare Library. Home to the world's largest Shakespeare collection, the Folger is dedicated to advancing knowledge and the arts. You can find more about the Folger at our website, folger.edu. And if you find yourself visiting Washington, D.C., we hope you'll come see us at the Folger Shakespeare Library. We're on Capitol Hill. Come and see a performance in our Elizabethan theater and come face to face with one of our first folios, the first printed edition of Shakespeare's plays. We hope to see you and thanks for listening. For the Folger Shakespeare Library, I'm Folger Director Michael Whitmore.